This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my oh-so-sleepy co-host, because these facts are keeping him awake at night, it's Jon. Hey, Jon. Hey, Dave. Well, it's good news, right? It's the Thailand final installment on all of this nightmare stuff. So after today, we can finally get a good night's sleep. Exactly. <laughs> well, or will this will this will this linger? Will this prevent us sleeping for even longer? Who knows? Only the next thirty-ish minutes will tell. So let's dive into it. These are yet more cloud computing facts. Well statistics anyway, um, that have been collected together. And we are reviewing the categories uh, relating to cost, which I can definitely see people like uh, being kept up at night around, and also what types of data organizations store. All right, let's let's get into the costs one. Um, there's a there's a few sort of different points here. There's one that I, I want to probably focus on, but what's the first one that uh, that you think stands out? Uh, to be honest, I think they all kind of say the same thing, but in, di di in different degrees of uh, how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, I mean, uh, I like the fact that they're going at costs a different way, because typically when you're in the cloud discussions and it's a discussion about costs, it's about how, cost, how cloud is so much more cost effective and better and blah, blah, blah. But it's still a cost, right? And yeah, yeah I personally never think that cloud is going to save you money. It might allow you to make more money and make more profit compared to other ways of doing stuff. That's possible. So it might be a net benefit, but mm. it'll almost never be cheaper. And I think these numbers kind of agree with me, although they don't really make that comparison. Mm. I, I don't know. I think, I think for some for some situations, I think it can be cheaper, but like that's for particular areas, particular scenarios, particular functions, maybe even particular products or services you're consuming. On the whole, yeah, I think it's at, at best, I think it's a wash and probably more than likely it is more expensive. But I think there are savings to be had. No, I mean... I think there's more benefits to be had, but you're going to pay more for it because if you have a server in the rack here, it's always going to be cheaper than a VM somewhere. But you need to take care of that thing. You need to have people in place, but you probably yeah. have people. And when you move to cloud, you probably aren't going to sell, uh, fire those people. I'm going to say sell those people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> slavery is not good, by the way. Um, so that cost will still remain there. Now, by being in the cloud, you kind of you'll be forced to do better security because we talked about in the previous episodes that cloud has more uh, a bigger attack for surface. So you probably have a better uh, attack posture against that, which is good. It's it's a net benefit, maybe not monetary, but it's still good to be more secure. But well. You have to pay for that thing. So I'm not saying it's bad that you have to pay more. Mm. But I re unless you've been really dumb and stupid on how you were buying hardware in the past, and you now have to be smart to do it in the cloud, yes, then I guess you can have a, be a benefit in pure money at the, the bottom line. Otherwise, you're going to be spending more. And in the migration so, page stage, that's something to be aware of. So you're 
Okay, so I think we're probably both saying the same thing. No, it's just that we're equating cost differently. Like I think of cost as a holistic thing, and you're just thinking of essentially raw infrastructure cost type things. Um, just money leaving your bank account. And the, the main issue I have with, it, uh, with, with the concept of cloud will be cheaper or more effective, whatever, is that there's a, there's a, there's a period of time where you will be spending more money. And mm. if you have gone into this with the wrong mindset, that comes very unexpectedly because you, you all gave me these return on investment projections. I'm going to save money. And you <laughs> asked me to spend more money and I can't do any savings yet because my hardware still needs to be running until we have moved over. And what mm. I've seen yeah, happen yeah. there is that a kind of crunch happens where, oh, we don't have this budget. So the move to the cloud ha happens haphazardly, stuff gets cut out, we don't have time for it, it needs to be fast, it needs to be quicker. And bad experience ensues from that misconception point. And that's something I think that in the in the sales uh, profession is something mm -hmm. we need to be open with with the customers. Sure, cloud has benefits. We talked about a lot of them uh, uh, in the past of this uh, podcast. It has some uh, things you, that keeps you awake at night, which is the focus <laughs> of these three. And in everything, it's expectation management. And don't make the picture too rosy. Make sure the person knows if you're going to move to the cloud, there is going to be a bit of a, a hike in pricing before you start getting the benefits. And those benefits, well, you're probably still going to be spending more. But again, if you do it right, you should be gaining more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, let's talk about this next one, though. Because this next one, I think, is... This oh, is fine. the one that the uh, cost, public cloud cost overruns. This is where I think more organizations get caught up or don't really understand as much of the impact and then end up in a, in a position that uh, is possibly quite uncomfortable for many of them. And that's that when you're consuming cloud services, there is... I mean, no limit is possibly a little bit hyperbolic, but there are very few limits to how much you can spend. I mean, maybe your cloud provider, you know, has a certain credit limit or whatever that they set you on, I'm sure. Um, but you, if you consume the services, well, you'll be expected to pay for those services. And that sounds really simple, but as people are transitioning to this for more and more uh, more and more services that can burst based on certain consumption or things like that, they're also getting into this position where services are growing and being consumed at faster rates than they are familiar with before. And, you know, you see this a lot in um, the sort of situations where people are coming from uh, maybe services that they understand a little bit better, you know, co someone coming from an on-prem world, well, you can't really burst on-prem as such. Um, you know, you only have so much physical hardware. You can steal the you hardware can... from the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like this, you can burst within, you know, you know, within your own private cloud and things like that. You can swap infrastructure around. You can swap capacity around, sure, but you're still constrained by what you actually have now there in an ideal world should be no such limits and no such constraints so people all of a sudden find themselves consuming 
significantly more than perhaps they were expecting to do because they are thinking and I often see this when people start talking about sizing and they're thinking of sizing in the old world of well we'll add 10 10% capacity per month you know or whatever it might be and you know that'll be absolutely fine and they they forget that all of a sudden like the floodgates are off potentially like the 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 bottlenecks or the areas that had constrained them with their consumption previously all of a sudden maybe don't exist at all and that can drastically change how people consume now you were talking earlier on the on the 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 cost compromise or the rising cost you know that's a big part of it people's ability to spin stuff up faster you know it's a great advantage potentially but the flip side is the more stuff you spin up the more it's going to cost yeah but that's a good thing right it's cloud it's pay as you go you don't have to think <laughs> about it anymore i mean that's also where the public clouds have uh have uh, they're, they're bad at that point i mean again these people they're in the business of being of doing business and cloud is in business of making money and they will try to make money and pay as you go is i mean it's just in my normal life as well, I try to minimize the amount of automatically reoccurring billing I have. I try to avoid um, meals that come in every month automatically because you kind of forget that you're paying that stuff because it's so easy. It's the whole impulse buy to the nth degree. And cloud is hugely affected by that kind of impulse buy. Because again, as you say, mm. it's so easy. Now, clouds do kind of limit that. I mean, I've got my experience from my Azure days where we have a typical tenant, you actually have a maximum amount of VMs you can have up and running at, at any given time. And that's it's yep. just a limit on your account. And if you want more, you just have to connect to uh, their support people and tell them, hey, I, I need 10% more, and they'll just up you. It's not that you can't have it, it's just to avoid these runaway costs, which in the mm. end, the cloud providers will have to kind of pay you back a little bit from because they want to keep you as a customer so let's be nice to each other and we'll give you some money back they want to avoid it of course so i guess that's some kind of a break they put on there but yeah the, the fact that it's all so easily available is uh, is good and bad as you say now you did mention sizing there and that's actually something i wasn't going to talk about but now that you mention it i'm going to because <laughs> sizing should be in my opinion, totally different in a cloud world. Now, this is something I, in my daily work, I'm being confronted with all the time because mm -hmm. uh, professionally I sell a software service, software package, software thingy that can run in the cloud and people want to do sizing to know what their budget needs to be to set it up. Now, for on-premise stuff, makes sense. There's a lot of uh, front costs. You have to buy hardware, infrastructure stuff, uh, the licensing, stuff like that. And you need to have an idea of, okay, is it going to be 10 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, a million bucks? I need to have some idea there to budget the stuff, which makes total sense on premise. whole reason going to the cloud is not having any restrictions. And there, sizing, we pretty much do the same thing. We just translate hardware into VMs and things like that, add some data transfer costs and things like that, management costs and they have a sizing in my opinion it's, a, it's an uphill battle because again you're fighting against people that are coming from on-premise to the cloud and they're used to talking about the on-premise stuff and they want to keep the lingo they know obviously but in mm. cloud for me and I'm curious what you think sizing should be cost benefits as long as whatever you're spending in the cloud is bringing 
0.00001 extra in, it's actually free. Yeah. Now, I th so I agree with you, but I think the problem is that... I don't agree. Well, <laughs> as I say, I think there's a problem with that. So I think in the utopia of things, then yes, that would be the ideal way to do it. The problem is that companies aren't organized like that. Their budgets aren't organized yeah, like that. And I think exactly, exactly my point. The legacy of the way that people think about, uh, about costs and about spending and about cloud in many cases, I think actually um, prevents organizations from seeing that true kind of total cost of ownership ROI you know picture in a way that makes a lot more sense in in a cloud world now the other thing that um, I think varies here when you're talking about um, overages I think it also depends on how mature an organization is on their cloud journey okay. because one of the one of the things that you see is people early on, basically just treat it like their data center, like they just spin up more and more and more and more. Um, and yeah, surprise, surprise, that's expensive. Now, as people get more mature onto their cloud journey, you know, they start to figure out, well, we can scale these things, not just up, but actually if it's designed right, if it's built right, if we're adopting it right, we can also scale it down. And that's where you start to see um, some things were making a lot more sense. Now, this depends on a lot of things working well. It depends on, you know, decoupling your storage from your compute and a whole bunch of other things like that. Not every technology works that way, and that makes life difficult for some people. But for those that, that are able to do that, again, that makes more sense. The other thing is, is SaaS consumption. Like, it is literally pay-as-you-go in many cases. So your i see more overages from or more organizations talking about overages or overspends in a SaaS world because they're seeing less you know they see less of what goes on all they see is their their utilization or their spend kind of drastically spiking and then you know dropping off after something else has happened but like they didn't need to think about, oh, well, I need to scale my infrastructure, or I need to change this, or I need to make these uh, modifications to whatever it is that I'm doing. They just consume it. And the ease of consumption is the thing that kind of also is the double-edged sword that <laughs> makes it easy for organizations to overspend. Yeah, I'm going to put the caveat on that, the, the scaling down. I mean, we're mostly in the data world. And compute is easy to scale down. Data is hard to scale down. If you have your data nodes, scaling down means moving data around, which incurs network data transfer costs. So it's hard to do, takes a lot of time, waste resources. So it really depends on the on the on the loads that you're running there. Yeah. Um I think one thing that could be better and all clouds are uh, are guilty of this is having better insights and in costs. Because the cloud mm -hmm. builds you get from these public uh, cloud vendors, the big ones and the small ones alike, I'd say, are very obscure. You kind of get an end month bill. Well, this is what it costs this month. Okay, 
can I get insight in what VM costs the most or the least or this project versus that project? And while the cloud providers do have tools to kind of make that organizational view reflected in their infrastructure when doing VNets or groups or resource groups, whatever they call them in the different clouds, the billing typically doesn't um, reflect that very easily. And that makes it very hard. Now, I've been away from the, from the back end of the cloud for a couple of years now, so I'm hoping things improved. But on the mm. other hand, I see quite regularly a new project or blog or something out there of somebody that built a solution to visualize costs across the three, four, five, six clouds that I'm using today. So that for me tells me that it ain't that easy today either still. And having insights in your costs and even, I mean, we're in the world of machine learning, right? Predictive maintenance, prediction stuff. We should be able to say, if you've been, if this has cost this and this is running, it'll cost you that much next month. I mean, my bank account, I'm at a bank in the Netherlands here, that little app actually allows you to see what my cost is going to be more or less for the next month or so. Why can't we mm. do it in the cloud stuff? So I, you my, touched on something that I think is really, Sorry. yeah, yeah. You touched on something I think is really interesting here because so I'm, I'm British, as most people can hear from my language. Ah, we don't blame you personally. Uh, my speech. I mean, you probably should, but well, that's <laughs> that's for another podcast. Um, that's for our history and uh, the Great British Empire podcast that we are not doing. Oh. Now, the the question, so because I'm British, I'm obviously very cynical. And so the question that I've got is, like, how much do you think the cloud providers actually do make it difficult for people to draw those kind of conclusions from their own purely to obscure the costs a little bit and make it that little bit trickier to to trim down the cost like they could they could make this much easier if they wanted to i don't think they really want to yeah. i think they'd rather drive up consumption than like give people an easier way to trim down their consumption I mean, uh, I'm going to follow my company's adage of assume no malice. So I'm not <laughs> going to say that they do it on purpose. They don't obfuscate on purpose. But as you say, they have no incentive of making mm. it easier because the more insight customers have, the more reticent they'll be to spend money they would otherwise have spent because they didn't know. So there is no benefit from them up until the point that uh, cons consumers actually tell the cloud providers, hey, we're comparing uh, Google, Amazon, Azure, and the guys that have the best insights in the financial stuff, that's where mm -hmm. we're going to go. Now, in all of the RFPs and tenders stuff I've seen in the past, I've never seen that one as, an, uh, as a requirement, which is yeah. a problem. But the moment that that, yeah. and I think it's going to change because uh, more people go into the cloud, more people are getting into trouble in the cloud. I mean, the, the statistics we're looking at today are kind of saying, hey, <laughs> this is a big, uh, a big budgeting thing and people are overrunning everywhere. So it is going to happen. It's going to become more important and the cloud providers will have to do something. And I do think at a certain point it will be, okay, you have more insight than the others. I also think that this service that the cloud provider is going to give you will be a paid service. If you yes. want to have this insight, please check this box and pay. That being said, I'm, I also have costs for my bank account, so I guess it's feasible. But yeah, I mean, just yeah, I, I, I'm just going to, this is not a bit of a, a tangent, but it just came out yesterday, I think. Cloud providers paying for stuff that they should be given for free. I mean, 
Microsoft had their uh, quarterly results released uh, a couple of days ago. And they were mm. very boasting that their security, antivirus, malware protection was bringing in so much money. And a lot of the analysts on the call actually butchered them. Because Microsoft guy, you're writing this Windows thing, right? You know, that thing that's full of bugs that's causing all these vulnerabilities that the virus, and now you're going to charge people to protect against the bugs you put in the... In, okay, it's okay you write bugs, mm. but please don't boast about having a lot of customers buying your antivirus stuff. And I guess for the cloud, it's kind of the same thing, right? You should give people mm. insight in the costs and not charge them extra for that. But I'm pretty sure they will anyway. And we'll yeah, pay for it. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And it, it I mean, it, it is also, again, something else that you touched on, like it is a massive uh, industry at this point. Like there are so many startups and organizations out there who have services that you can, you know, connect to your cloud and their, their whole... MO, their whole goal is to give you insight into areas where you can save money on your cloud providers, on your cloud bill, and figure out, you know, how how you can better optimize your cloud spend. So, you know, if the cloud providers, I mean, this is the cloud providers model, basically, isn't it? Like to, to kind of find and latch onto something that they think they can generate revenue from and then just do it by default within their cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's kind of weird though because analytical bookkeeping has been something that's been done for centuries. Why do we do it on the cloud? Mm. Because we don't have the insight. Because we don't have the granularity. Yeah. Because hey, we take care of all that, so you don't have to. It's a good thing. Trust us. <laughs> and of course, the trial's free. I mean, the first hits for free, right? First hits free. Yeah. All right, let's move on because we're running a little long, Again. but I think we can we can skip through these next ones pretty quickly because I'm not quite sure that there's all that much worth talking about on these. You know, lots of organizations are spending lots of money on public cloud. I'm not really sure that this is uh, particularly noteworthy. Well, I was a bit taken aback that 30% of organizations, this is on a US only census of 200 CISOs, actually are spending mm. more than 50 million on cloud infrastructure, I'm assuming per year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a million doesn't buy you what it used to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is absolutely true. Cool. Well, then let's just wrap it up with the last part of this uh, survey we haven't talked about, just to be complete, I guess. Uh, yeah, so this is what types of data are organizations storing in the cloud? And this is specifically a focus on, um, well, at least the first one is around what sensitive data uh, is uh, are organizations storing in the cloud? 59% of organizations are storing employee records in the cloud. 51.9. Uh, 52.9, actually. Well, the title says 51.9. People, if you That's know on YouTube, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> interesting discrepancy. Um, so it's either 51.9 or 52.9, depending on whether you look at the heading or the actual bulleted note. Who knows? We could check the source data, but who's got time for that? Um, and then 51% are storing business intelligence data and 50% are storing business records, so finance and accounting data. Do you know the only thing that surprises me about these three statistics? Uh, the fact that the title is wrong from the, from the body. 
No, that doesn't surprise me, sadly. <laughs> what surprises me is that these numbers are so low. I honestly expect, if you think about the number of organizations that have like SaaS services exactly. at this point that, that have, you know, for your, for your, I don't know, for your onboarding, for your HR systems, for, for this, for that, for the other thing, like so many of those systems are SaaS services now. Like very few people are running their own in-house, like I don't payroll, know, how, whatever, like SAP or Oracle app server, or you know, God knows what other hideous old school stuff is out there that um, that I'm trying desperately to forget. But like most of those systems that I've seen for a good long while now have all been SaaS services. So. I don't know. Maybe maybe we would need to look into um, you know the the demographic of organisations that were being surveyed here. But those just numbers seem way too low to me. Yeah, it is kind of low. And I could assume that a lot of big companies that have existed a long time, think of your WalMarts and things like that. They had stuff in place. They have the SAP, their mainframes, and they keep them there. I guess there's going to be some some legacies that's going to be around for a couple mm. of years more. Of course, there's the question of uh, does Microsoft put their stuff in the cloud or not? Because yes, it's in the public cloud in Azure, but it's their cloud. So does that count for cloud or not? Same for Google and Amazon. I don't know. So I guess that's something, but that's only a couple of companies. That's not going to be 10%. But yeah, it is rather small. Now, if you combine that with the next statistic, which says that the SMBs have a lot more stuff in the cloud than the enterprises, that, that kind of makes sense because bigger, custom, mm. bigger companies have that legacy in place and they'll probably be using it for a long time because mainframes are expensive. Um, while SMBs and startups and stuff like that, while they start in the cloud, they'll stay in the cloud. They'll never have this stuff on-prem because they don't need it anymore. So yeah, I guess for this kind of stuff, it's not the most sexy data. This is more financial employee records. I guess that doesn't have to go to the cloud that quickly. And maybe there is still the fear of uh, leakage, uh, data leaks in the cloud. I mean, privacy information in Europe, definitely. There's a lot of legislation around that. And we do, I do see a lot of my customers and our users that are reticent to put that kind of stuff in the cloud because yeah it's it's a brave new world with all of the good and bad things and i guess they lie awake at night uh, fearing that their data is gonna go somewhere it shouldn't and yeah that being said employee records business intelligence data finance and accounting it's the stuff you'd want to keep safe i guess i don't know yeah <sighs> I don't know. I, I just, I think these numbers, I even think these numbers feel low as well. I don't know. There's, there's always uh, an element of like the, uh, the, the bubble of the space that you're working in the reality distortion bubble. And you know, the more, you, the more time you spend in that particular area, the more it kind of shifts your worldview to this is this the way things are. And I've always, I've always struggled with trying to consume information like this to try and make sure that I'm aware that not the entire, you know, the entire world doesn't think, behave, you know, whatever in the same way that I see things from You're a data perspective. Are you saying the world are doing it wrong? <sighs> it's just, <laughs> there's a lot of other perspectives out there. Let's just put it that way. 
And this, I think, is showing some of those kind of perspectives. There's a lot of organizations that still are not on board with public cloud, which in my my work life, I find mind boggling, but I have to be reminded that there's there's just a lot of organizations out there that, that aren't on that journey yet. I actually think this number is positive. It should be smaller than that from mm. my little bubble because I work in public sector and government. Mm. And I can guarantee yep. you there's a very small percentage of that stuff running in the cloud today because of all the legislation around it. If I look at my customer set, I would say maybe one or two percent are looking at cloud for very, very public data, stuff that's already on the public website, for example. Okay, mm-hmm. there's no issue there. But everything else, still very close down. It's changing, but it's changing very slowly. And again, there's some cost. There's a lot of infrastructure in place. And usually when the renewal cycle comes along, that's when they'll look at it. And if you know about hardware buying, typically write-offs are about two, uh, sorry, three to four years. Yeah. So it takes time. I mean, give it another decade, and I think these numbers will be very, very, very different, especially mm. due yep. to the pandemic, because to be honest, <laughs> it's actually a funny one. The main reason that government is going to cloud at the moment is because hardware is just so hard to get. It takes yeah. six months, 10 months, a year to actually order a server if you want more than two. And <laughs> yeah, it needs to be done because legislation is catching up with people, you need compliance, you need to have a SIM, you need to have security, you need to have this and that and there. And okay, we can't do it on premise because we simply can't get the hardware, the chips aren't there. And the cloud providers, we mentioned this earlier already, they seem to be suffering less uh, from this. So that's one of the reasons that government is going to the cloud. And yeah, maybe that's sidestepping some legislation here and there. I don't know. Luckily, I don't have to worry about that part of it. (laughs) (laughs) The fun thing about working in technology. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, with that, I think that about wraps up this topic. And the big question, of course, Jan, is that if these facts were keeping you awake at night, now we've talked through them, now we've soothed the savage beast, Will you be able to sleep again? Well, you say soothe the savage beast, but I think of a fear mongering here. At least that was my intention for this series. So I <laughs> guess I failed at that. And on that bombshell, that is all the time we have for today. You can support the podcast, become a patron, contributions help us. Thank you very much, patrons. We love you. You can go to YouTube, you can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, do the YouTube stuff Dave likes so much. And you can still go to www.drawingalphabet.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, the YouTube page, and all other information related to the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the @roaringelephant tag. And you can send feedback by plain old email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is, I guess I finally get a good sleep, a good night's sleep, Jon. And my name is Soundly Sleeping Dave. I thought you were off a bit this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we look forward to talk to you again next week when hopefully Dave will be awake again. Sleep podcasting, it's a brand new thing. Indeed.